Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here, and tonight going to be talking some hoops with Sean Moran of SeanMoHoops.com, and then very pleased to be joined by Bo Estes of NBA TV and NBA.com. So, Bo, since this is the first time that I've had you on the podcast, we'll start with you. How's it going, man? Oh, first of all, I'm just really excited to be here. I've uh, been working with Inside Carolina off and on for years, so it's, it's fun. I listen to you guys' podcasts all the time, and it's uh, always, always interesting, and I just it's really to be a part of it. Very good, man. Well, we're happy to have you on. And then, Sean, how's things out there on the West Coast for you, buddy? Uh, things are good. Glad, glad um, it's conference tournament time. The no more Pac-12 games for me, but I'm definitely not disappointed about that. Yeah, Pac-12. I mean, like if they had just simulated every game and you know turned in a sheet at the end of the season, would anyone have really noticed a difference? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, good answer, Sean. Good. Answer. <laughs> Yeah, it was that that was a rough conference this year. But, you know, it's it's just kind of strange how the Pac-12 was so bad and yet the ACC has, you know, three of probably the best four, five, six teams in the country. And, you know, that's what that's where we'll kind of start it off is with Carolina closing out the season the way that they did. It's a run that no one predicted. But, you know, Bo, we'll start with you again since you're the first time guest here. What do you think were the main driving forces what went right for the heels that they were able to close the season out so well, basically from that blowout loss at home to Louisville and onward. Boy, everybody I, I hear talks about Saturday, January 12th. That's that Louisville game where they lost 83, 62 uh, things turned around from there. I think people found their roles. I think, uh, you know, you look at these, these last six or seven games from Luke May, he's posted double figures and rebounding 15, 11, 12, 10, 20, 16, uh, and, you know, to me, one of the revelations for this North Carolina team has been the improved play of Cam Johnson. And I'm not talking just about as a, a three-point shooter, because I think that's what everybody thought that, that he was coming in. But uh, it, it's his overall game. He's a more mobile player now. Uh, and North Carolina just seems to be a team that has that extra gear, that extra notch. And defensively, they're so much stronger since that Louisville game. Yeah, defense, I think, would be my pick. But, you know, Sean, from what you've seen, what's your take on that? Well, I definitely agree with Bo about kind of, um, you know, finding your identities. And I know last year we talked about that a lot on the podcast of Theo and Joel kind of finding their roles as a team switch. And I think same thing this year. And there's definitely some frustration early on in the season where you saw the second team coming in for minutes at a time, uh, once again, thinking of the Michigan game. And I think with injuries, uh, that whittled it down a little bit, but also people finding their role. What are they really good at? Naz coming off the bench, being an energy guy, coming in, getting offensive rebounds, um, you know, not ideally going one-on-one and, and dribbling a lot. Uh, Kenny, a lockdown defender, hitting, hitting big threes. Cam, really, you know, a fantastic ACC season. Uh, I, I know he wasn't going to get player of the year just because of, of Zion, you know, the Zion hype. But I was a little disappointed at the number of votes he got. Um, I thought he, he would have been higher just given his, his remarkable season offensively where he shot um, 46% from behind the three-point line, had the highest offensive rating, um, highest E field goal percentage. And 
more than just a shooter. Uh, I think he, he became more athletic, uh, being more healthy. So he's able to take the ball to the basket and, and also move around better on the perimeter. So it, it was a lot of, a lot of overall factors. Um, but I think they're, the team is playing extremely well and it'll be interesting, uh, come Thursday, Friday, and potentially Saturday of, of how they do. But, uh, you know, two losses in the ACC is, is a rarity going back to 2012, the last time that happened. So, Bo, you and Sean both talked about Cameron Johnson. And, you know, I think if you asked most fans and probably the, the players themselves who the regular season MVT, MVP was for the Heels this season, I think he would win. But, you know, the, the common you know, phrase used for Roy Williams offense is they are point guard driven. And the evolution of Kobe White, where he has found his shot, I think was just so instrumental as well. What did you think was the kind of spur behind that? And do you think, you know, his early struggles, was that just kind of him adjusting? And we really are seeing what Kobe can do right now moving forward? Man, I tell you what, Kobe White uh, really learning the game on the fly as a freshman has been one of the more impressive, you know, performances you've seen. You've seen some players at North Carolina as freshmen take the take the reins at point guard. But what he has done and how he has improved during the year is impressive to me. As a ball player, one of the things that comes comes off right away, this guy is confident. He feels like he can get up a shot and get up a good shot, and he wants to take that shot in critical times. And I think, you know, from my perspective as a guy who watches the NBA games a whole lot, what Kobe White does reminds me of what a lot of great NBA players are doing now. They, they're able to take that deep shot. They're able to work increases in the paint. I think his size is a huge factor. I mean, you know, I've, I've heard guys on the podcast in the past talk about this is a legitimate 6'5 point guard. That's a bigger point guard than a John Wall was or some other names that you think about. Uh, so what that does to me for North Carolina, in a, in a way that they didn't even really have last year, honestly, is in late shot clock situations, this is a guy that can get a shot. This is a guy that can bail you out. It doesn't need to come to that. You'd rather it not come to that. But Kobe White is a guy who can also get white hot and, and carry a team for a game, two games, three games. And as a Carolina, as somebody who watches Carolina a whole lot, I think that is that gives you a lot of confidence going into March. I'll put, I'll put it that way. And then, Sean, how do you think Kobe will handle the pressure of being in his first ACC tournament and then NCAA tournament? And how big of a deal do you think that you know someone that's kind of that steady presence like Seventh Woods is available to come off the bench if needed? Where you know honestly Seventh has been through it, so he's already dealt with that with that pressure. How do you think that dynamic will work at the point guard position for these upcoming all important games? I think the ACC tournament will will definitely help just getting him in the groove, even if it's only one game. Um, I think you look back to the the Duke game at Duke and kind of he got he let the moment get the best of him. Uh, he was trying to you know really go against Trey Jones. I'm sure the crowd you know hyped him up and really had a had a poor game. But after that, in the Florida State game, was able to calm down and settle down. So I think just getting one game and then you go into the NCAA tournament and you're going to be playing a 16 seed or a 15 seed. Now we've seen those teams win, but knock on wood, uh, not this year against Carolina. Um, so I think just having that, that game to get under a system will be really helpful. And then we'll see him kind of be the Kobe that, that we know where, you know, 
with him and Cam, and I think it's rare to have two guys on the same team that anytime they shoot the ball, I anticipate it going in. Um, it's rare that either one of them shoots it. Cam really for the first time against the Duke game because I thought he was rushing a lot of shots um, on Saturday. But usually when, th- when those two let it fly, uh, you think it, it's going in. In terms of seventh Woods, I know he hasn't, pl- he hasn't played over 10 minutes um, in the last four games. And I, I, I do like how Roy is kind of shortening the rotation, uh, especially as you're entering the key stretch. But there's going to be some point uh, where, you know, Kobe, especially if you're making a long run where Kobe's having a bad game or Kobe's in foul trouble or something happens and you're going to need seventh woods to step up. And I think he's shown the ability to do that. But you think back to Nate Britt, uh, Quentin Thomas, uh, you name it. There's always been somebody that can step up at a, at a key point. And I think seventh has the capacity to do that. Um, but I think right now the, the minutes he's playing is good where Roy's really letting Kobe run the show and, and, you know, play 30 plus minutes right now. Let's go ahead and shift the talk a little bit to the ACC tournament. And, you know, overall, just my thoughts on the season are that because Carolina have played their way into a potential number one seed in the in the NCAA tournament, to me, the importance of the ACC tournament has kind of gone down just a little bit aside from just that pure seeding issue. So, you know, Sean, um, Bo, actually, when you're looking at the ACC tournament, Carolina is going to play the winner of, I think it's Notre Dame or Louisville on Correct. Thursday night. So assuming that the Heels do win that game, or even if they were to lose it, how do you think that Roy is handling the ACC tournament? And what kind of importance do you think that he and the team are placing on this one for this season? I think there are two different realities here. One that you will hear from Roy Williams, I want to win these games. Anytime we put on a North Carolina jersey, it's important that we go out and play our best and do well because we're representing the University of North Carolina. I think that's one reality. I think in reality, it's just less significant because of the work they've done in the regular season. Sure, they risk dropping to a number two seed, but really the consequence of that is not tremendous, I don't think personally. Uh, if they get a one seed, if they advance uh, beating, you know, uh, a Louisville team, for instance, that really gave them a lot of trouble. And that's the game that everybody points to when the season turned around on January 12th. If they beat that team again, sure, that's good for confidence. And then you play a Duke team who, uh, you know, if they advance and you play them for a third time, perhaps this time with Zion Williamson, although, you know, you got a guy coming back off an MCL spread if he's going to play back-to-back games, that's really something for me. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's more a confidence thing. It's more a rotation thing. You talk about guys like Seventh Woods. Can they build confidence? To me, Seventh Woods, his key, just play clean. If he comes in, plays solid defense, doesn't turn it over, gives the ball to the right people in the right positions, he's done his job. So I, I think, you know, for North Carolina, the real objective is not necessarily this weekend. It would be great to win. Don't get me wrong. But they're pointing to bigger things. And then, Sean, what's your take on that? Same question. Definitely agree that they're looking for bigger things this year. And if you look back at the three championships they won over Roy Williams, they haven't won the ACC tournament in any of those years. Uh, last year, they lost UVA in the tournament, but had to play four games to do so. Uh, I thought, obviously, you want to get the higher seed than Duke and beat Duke. But I think Duke actually ended up with the easier um, side getting the Syracuse or um, uh, let's see who they're playing, Pitt. 
um, versus Louisville. Louisville is really the only team in the ACC that can challenge a UVA, a Duke, a UNC, in my opinion. So I think UNC definitely got the tougher out in that first round. So it wouldn't shock me if they lost, and, and that wouldn't be the end of the world. Uh, they definitely wouldn't get a one seed with a loss. But, um, you know, I think staying healthy and, and staying focused is most important for next week and the three weeks after that. It would be great to beat Duke for a third time, and I would love another shot at UVA. Uh, you know, I think only getting Ooh. one shot with them uh, this year. I would have loved to see them play twice, especially with a, a healthy Cam and, and Kobe. But, um, you know, playing those, those three games three days in a row is going to be difficult. And you've seen teams that have, uh, you know, take Duke, for example, that have won the three games and then they flame out earlier, UVA last year. So um, it's important for this week and important for seeding, but not very important in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, and when you're talking about that Duke game, you know, Bo, you talked about confidence. Sean, you brought the point playing Duke for a third time is going to be difficult. If Carolina were to beat Duke and, you know, play UVA, maybe lose a close one or even win it, but overall just beating Duke, would you consider that to be a very successful ACC tournament for this team heading into the NCAA tournament? Uh, I'll take that first. I, I just think it's, uh, you know, it's good for momentum. It's always good to win basketball games. And basketball players thrive on confidence. Uh, you know, I think Cam Johnson's confidence is sky high right now. And, I, you know, I, I think about, and Sean can probably answer this better than I can, but his three-point shooting season this year is about as good when you talk about accuracy, when you include that in there, as any we've ever seen at North Carolina. And he's shooting it at 6'9". So if he gains confidence against good defensive teams and is able to, you know, further improve his ability to get shots off. And look, for me, again, Cam Johnson can shoot twos now as well because he's a little more athletic. But those little things help out a lot. And beating Duke's just it's, – it's always so much fun for Carolina players. But I just, my, my tendency is to believe that the real goal lays further down the road for this team. But again, beating Duke matters a whole, whole lot. And then, Sean, what would be a successful ACC tournament for the Heels for this season in your eyes? Um, I would say, I mean, just beating Louisville would be successful if they do play to Duke and happen to lose to a Duke-led Zion team. Uh, that, that could definitely take some of the shine off, and you would have a lot of people in the media saying, oh, well, you know, I guess discounting really their two wins, saying, oh, that it came without Zion, and look what happened in the third time. But you can go back uh, to 2017 when UNC lost uh, to Duke in the, the semis and clearly looked like the, the better team. Um, so I think beating Louisville will be a success. Obviously nice to beat, beat Duke. And as I said, I really want to see them play UVA. I wish they were playing them in the, in the semifinals um, because I, I really am intrigued by the challenges that UVA presents just given how drastic the first half and the second half went the first game where the first half, uh, UNC couldn't even even sniff the paint, and then all of a sudden they start speeding the tempo up and get a very disciplined team, um, kind of going at their speed. And then Cam got hurt, and that altered the last really five you know five or so minutes. So uh, once again, I would love to see them, you know, play UVA, beat UVA, win an ACC championship. But really, just a win at Louisville, I think, would be a sign of success. You heard it here first, everybody. Sean Moran calling for the heels to tank. In order to get the four seed against UVA, just uh, keep in mind that that moving forward. <laughs> All right, guys. John, yeah. let me let me just add one. I, t- 
to me, and you guys follow this every single day, the Virginia matchup for North Carolina, just as a matchup, seems like a nightmare. It seems, honestly, even Duke with Zion, I think North Carolina has maybe an easier way to win. I'm not going to say it's easy to beat Duke with Zion, without Zion. But playing Virginia, it seems like a matchup nightmare. And I'm curious, you know, you hear you want to play them again. That that just seems like such a tough matchup to me. Well, I want to play them just because I'm so intrigued by the matchup. And I, I, I oh. definitely agree that it is is difficult. Uh, both have top five defenses, but I think UNC can score on Duke at, at almost any time with or without Zion. Uh, you know, they like to pressure up and, and the lanes are free versus a UVA team that, as I mentioned, you couldn't even get into the paint in the first half and you have to be really focused defensively. Um, so for me, it's more of how mentally tough can UNC be in one of those games. Um, and I, I think they're going to be have to be that mentally tough to get to the final four or go forward, just knowing what happened last year. So for me, that's why I definitely, why I kind of want to see them play just more from a, a matchup standpoint, knowing how difficult it would be um, and seeing if they could rise to the challenge and, and really focus for 40 minutes. So to me, ironically, I think that this year's UNC team matches up better against Virginia than past because the heels can shoot from the outside so well behind Cam and Kobe, where, you know, in the past, Carolina really tried to pound it inside. And like you said, Sean, against UVA, that's just so difficult to do. But I think this year, especially you know, with Nas uh, kind of finding his stroke from the outside and then Luke May, who can you know either go over for four or six for seven from beyond the line. You know, I just think that with the outside shooting, Carolina this season would actually be better poised to play Virginia. And like you said, on the defensive side, UVA just runs screen after screen after screen. They use all 30 seconds of that shot clock and it is like watching paint dry. Oh my God, I hate watching it, but it's effective. I just think that with the way that the heels have ratcheted up their defense over the last month, that they would be able to really kind of put the clamps on UVA and just make enough shots from the three point line. I think that they could actually steal one where normally just the UVA, uh, that brand just really shuts down what Roy Williams tries to do on, on offense. It'll be interesting. Um, I mean, I'm with you guys. I think overall for the ACC tournament, the goal is to get through it, no injuries, not get completely blown out at any point, something that could, you know, kind of wreck confidence and just prepare for the NCAA tournament. And let's take a very quick commercial break. And when we get back, let's go ahead and shift the focus towards that one. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. Let's take a moment to talk about our friends at Johnny T-Shirt. They are a very long-term supporter of Inside Carolina and the Inside Carolina podcast, and they are your place to go to for Carolina gear. Johnny T-Shirt has been a Franklin Street tradition for over 35 years, and they are one of the absolute iconic locations there on campus. They are locally and alumni-owned with a great staff that puts great value on customer service. It is really top-notch. When you go into Johnny T-Shirt, they make you feel like you are a part of the family. They are your place to 
to go to for Carolina gear because it is their focus. They have a terrific selection of anything that you might want from memorabilia to jerseys to clothing and everything in between. And if you are a subscriber to Inside Carolina, you get your exclusive 10% off discount on all of your purchases. You can use that either in their Chapel Hill store or at johnnytshirt.com. That's johnnytshirt.com. So even if you live out of state and you still need that Johnny T-shirt fix, you can go there to order anything that you need Carolina related. So support Johnny T-shirt and support the Inside Carolina podcast. Visit their website, johnnytshirt.com, and visit their store when you're in town on game days. And we're back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Segula here with Bo Estes and Sean Moran talking UNC basketball. So guys, let's go ahead and start talking about the NCAA tournament. And I think from what we've kind of seen from, you know, the whole bracketology, quote unquote, experts, is that if Carolina is going to get a number one seed, they pretty much have to beat Duke if the two play on Saturday. Either that or hope that, I guess, Kentucky and Tennessee both flame out early in the SEC tournament. But let's go ahead and start with Sean, since I started with Bo the entire time during that first segment. Sean, when you're looking at the brackets, you know how important do you think it is, given the locations this year, for the Tar Heels to get a potential number one seed? That's a good question. Last year, we talked about how important it was to get into Charlotte, and, and that didn't really help at all in, in the second round when, when you faced a, a you know big team, athletic team that um, you know kind of embarrassed UNC in the second round. But really looking at it, you know, right now ESPN has UNC as a number one seed in the Midwest. Uh, I think that could be really intriguing. Obviously, with the one seed, then you're just getting what should be an easier second round matchup and then the four or five in the Sweet 16, et cetera versus, um, you know, facing a three seed in the Sweet 16. Uh, that's just common common sense. But I wouldn't mind, once again, if UNC was a two seed and somehow got put out West. I know that happened last year and they lost early, but you look at the West last year and it wasn't that strong. Gonzaga lost early. And once again, if if they get put out West, they're playing in Anaheim and Gonzaga, UNC beat them once. So you know, they would have some familiarity with them if they were to match up. But I think a two seed in the West would be the most challenging um, compared to, say, a two seed in the South if uh, if Kentucky were to, were to be a one seed in that region. So I think you can go both ways on, on whether it helps to be a one or a two. I'd much rather prefer to be a one and let the chips fall as they may. But if a two seed does happen, I uh, definitely would, would love to be in that West uh, West bracket. All right, Bo, what's your take on it? Because to me, I think avoiding Kentucky in that Louisville bracket, which is the South, either as a one or a two, as long as the heels can do that, I'm kind of with Sean. I don't, it'd be nice to be a one seed, but that's to me is the pitfall. What do you take overall about a one versus two seed for this season? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, I don't think that number, if it's one or two, matters that much besides your name. I really don't. Uh, what, one thing I do think matter matters is that you, you sort of have a little more latitude, particularly in that first game, if you have an off night. If you have a, a Cam Johnson, instead of going four for eight on threes, he goes one for eight. And a couple of other guys struggle. You have some more latitude. And maybe in the second round, as well, but it's who you're playing and when you're playing them down the road, because basically all we're thinking of here is if things go well for Carolina, if they keep moving ahead, 
then, uh, you know, it's who you face. And, and you know, I, I sort of agree with Sean. I, I don't mind seeing North Carolina in a grade eight matchup with Gonzaga. I, I, you know, as good as Gonzaga is, and I think they're really good. I think Carolina has a good shot in that game. Um, Kentucky did present some problems for North Carolina. I, I look at other teams, uh, you know, a team in the SEC like Tennessee could present some problems for North Carolina. And, you know, one of the other things I heard on this podcast, and it won't happen anytime early, but, you know, at some point, North Carolina is going to face Duke in the NCAA tournament. And that's when it gets really interesting to me. That's, that's when my head starts spinning around. Yeah, Greg Barnes made that comment on the podcast oh. that was did in. What was Greg talking about? What was he trying to do to people? I don't know. The, the response on the message board has been predictable where, uh, you know, people kind of agree with Tommy and Rob and Sherelle, where it's just like, no, we do not want that to ever, ever happen. <laughs> oh, especially in a national championship game, because it, the entire the entire world of bragging rights here rests on that that 40 minutes. That's it. Yeah. And I mean, and, and it's like, you know, Greg kind of did the caveat. He wanted them to play in the final four, but I think even in the final four, I don't uh, care. No. Yeah, I don't care either. Either way, it's, it's, it's too much at stake for me, especially right now. Just thinking ahead. I, I, I would be excited as the game happened, but you know, it, it's still, it's still one of those possibilities. That's just too much stress. I think for anybody who, who watches these things closely. I mean, there would be riots down 15501. <laughs> Uh, all right, guys, but talking about the NCAA tournament itself, and, you know, Bo, we talked about this on, on Twitter a little bit, and looking at some teams from outside the ACC that could pose a matchup problem to the Heels, either in the early rounds or later on, the team that you talked about was Tennessee, and even though that was in relation to Duke, when Duke was on their big winning streak, I got the sense that the U kind of really liked what the volunteers had this year. So talk about them and if there's any other teams that you've seen that you think could pose a, um, a problem matchup for one reason or another, should the heels run into them in the NCAA tournament? Well, yeah, the team I focus in on in that question is the Tennessee volunteers. They, they have been a little less consistent of late, but if you look at them, these are five upperclassmen. These five upperclassmen all average in double figures in scoring. It's big, strong guys. Uh, Carolina is traditional, and this season they've been a great rebounding team. Again, it's, it's tougher when you're going against those guys. I think they have been through the battles. That's a team that just really concerns me. That's a team that I, I sort of pegged early on as a, as a squad that could win the national championship, and I, I'm standing by that. Uh, you know, again, North Carolina had some success against Gonzaga. I think that could be a, a challenging game. Michigan shot 50% earlier in the year against North Carolina. And let me just let me just take that example and, and expand that a little bit. If a team shoots hot like Michigan did against North Carolina, how do they respond? What can they do? Because that three-point defense traditionally for Carolina, and even this year, you know, they're not they're not the greatest three-point defending team in the country. They're, what is it, 113 on the year. So they, they've got some work to do on that. I, I worry about a team that, that shoots well against them. Uh, and, you know, the last year's nightmare, the, the other thing is, is a team with a ton of size, like Texas A&M last year. They had a 50-36 to 36 rebounding advantage against North Carolina. So a team like that would just, would just really concern me in a matchup situation. 
All right, Sean. So, you know, the West Coast is garbage. So I don't expect anyone <laughs> other than, I mean, I'm sorry, just call it what it is. Anyone except from Gonzaga, really, uh, to pose a true threat to the heels. But, you know, maybe I'm overlooking someone or is there someone kind of in like the Midwest or maybe if you caught a couple SEC games, what's some teams that you think heel fans should be on the lookout for? Well, you're right about the West Coast and Gonzaga uh, will be the one seed in the West, even though they haven't really played anybody uh, since the, the uh, December time frame. And to what Bo is saying, I've been trying to, you know, see what what could that Texas A&M team be that, uh, you know, kind of underachieved but has some talent and has a size to keep UNC off the boards. UNC depends on the offensive rebounding ability. Um, and so here's, you know, here's a few matchups. One, um, you know, not on the West Coast, but what happens if UNC gets a one seed in the Midwest and then all of a sudden, you know, can't we see Kansas as a as a three or four seed? Um, mm. I could see see that happening. And at some point, UNC has to get the monkey off their back and, and beat Kansas in the tournament. But once again, this is a talented Kansas team that is underachieved, um, but maybe they put it together playing basically at home against the Carolina team. Um, you can kind of go down go down the list uh you know i think villanova would be you know going to the east coast villanova could be uh interesting matchup depending on uh, on what round that team came in uh you know right now washington slated as an eight seed even though they are in the the pac-12 they do have uh some talent some younger talent with Jalen noel and uh Thibel and noah dickerson so um you know that could be like uh i think it was 2011 when UNC beat a talented Washington team in the second round with Isaiah Thomas and Terrence Ross and obviously not at that level but uh you know I think people could be sleeping on them just because they are out west um and then finally um you know I'll say Utah State could be interesting they have Hmm. uh really you know once again maybe an eight nine matchup and wouldn't be totally concerned but they did just beat Nevada at home. Uh, they have one of the best shot blockers in the country, uh, as well as the player of the year in Sam Morell, I believe. So uh, that team has some has some talent. But right now I'm not seeing, you know, kind of that Texas A&M that's lurking in the, the shadows. I think if anybody, it's going to be really, you know, that two or three seed or, or a Kansas that can give uh, give UNC problems. Oof, Kansas, that, I mean, even though they're having a bad year, it, I mean, it's like you said, at some point, Carolina will statistically beat the Jayhawks in the NCAA tournament, but that, that is a boogie team. Let me throw this one out to you guys. The Wofford Terriers, even though Carolina beat them earlier, there's been a lot of talk that they could be as high as like a seven seed. And, you know, Fletcher McGee is a type of player that, he can single-handedly win a game almost if he just goes off. And unfortunately, the heels have been suspect to that in the past. I mean, that's the the type of team that would honestly give me some some scary thoughts is if they are the seven and Carolina's a one, I do not want to see Wofford again. Am I am I kind of being crazy there, you guys? Or do you think that there's some legitimacy to that? There is no being crazy in March Madness. Let's just put it that way. I, I think that anxiety is quite normal. Uh, Fletcher McGee, when you said him, I, it occurred to me, yeah, that's a guy. He shot three of 16 against Carolina in their, their earlier season matchup. He could shoot 
12 of 16 in, in March Madness, and it changes everything. So, you know, for me, I, I, I think that's a totally legitimate concern. I, I don't know about you, Sean. No, I think it's, it's definitely a concern. Uh, I think, you know, with Wofford potentially get a, a seven seed, you know, I think they're a really good team. But being that high, you know, would it surprise me if they lost to, a, you know, a, a 10 seed that's coming from a power six conference? It, it wouldn't, you know, with Fletcher McGee and, and Cameron Jackson, two very, very strong players. And we saw what happened last year in the Dean Dome. And, you know, I'm, I'm still surprised at the result. The first game of the season, I think it was a, a nine point spread playing at Wofford. And I was pretty sure Wofford was going to um, was going to cover that. And they, they almost came close at the end, but North Carolina controlled that game. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if they, they lost early, you know, if they were maybe a little bit lower and were, were facing Carolina, I might be, might be shocked, but you know, if a, if a Furman, um, you know, right now I'm, I'm looking at, it's not even the, the first four out, it's the, the next four out of a Lipscomb or a, a Furman. And not that these would challenge North Carolina, but I'd much rather see some of these teams in the tournament than uh, NC State or uh, TCU, um, just for some excitement. So I know I kind of got away from the question there, but Wofford, uh, Fletcher McGee would definitely be difficult to contain, uh, especially if he got hot. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if if they uh, were out uh, in the first round this year or first weekend, I should say. Uh, John, about- one 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 other thought on that, just real quick. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. I just the thing I think about with this team is different from the 2009 team where there's first round draft pick after first round draft pick after first round draft pick. And they went through that tournament. and They won every game by double figures or more. The, the margin of error for this team, as good as they are, as mature as they are, as well as they're executing, as strong as their defense has been, I think it's a smaller margin of error. So that brings into play teams with a guy who has a one off night who goes wild or a night where Carolina's players aren't as good so it, it's just a different sort of it's, it's a little bit more like the 2017 team in that sense uh i, I don't want to take anything away from that but it's, it's just it's just a different uh way to get through the the ncaa tournament when you have a team uh that has overwhelming talent versus a team that's more mature and just really executes like this squad yeah i mean yeah. if you run into a, a murray state with john moran and and he goes off or you know maybe belmont gets in and and dylan windler shoots the lights out so uh, definitely agree with you on on that front, and uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, who are those teams that have that one real stud, or or maybe the Loyola Chicago of, you know, four really really good players that um, are playing well at the right time. Yeah, I agree with both of you guys. I think those are very solid points. And you know, talking about bubble teams, you know, I really hope that UNC Greensboro makes it in. We can talk about that team obviously on the podcast because head coach Wes Miller. They're on the bubble, and it's a shame because they have had such a crazy season, and a crazy good season, and I really hope that, that they do get in this year because I'd love to see Wes get some NCAA tournament coaching experience. I think it's important for him. I th- I, and the thing is, as we go you know, year after year and see more mid-majors do, do better, um, you know, they tend to rely on that automatic bid from their conference. And so many of these teams do well. I think it, you know, it's it's high time they get recognized, and maybe that second place team or the team that really was the strongest team all season long, but somehow loses on a miraculous shot at the end in the conference championship game, they get a look versus, uh, you know, a, a seventeen and eleven big conference team. Yeah, I would I, mean, I would definitely agree with that, and not to not to go off on you know the 
the big schools versus the small schools, but I think it, it's getting harder now that uh, you see, you know, right now the ACC is playing 18 games. So that's two more games for a mediocre team to pick up quality wins um, that aren't even against the top three teams, but maybe against the lower, you know, Q1. Or you have the Big Ten that's playing 20 games now. So, of course, you could be Indiana and go basically 1-12 one, one uh, throughout January and February and win a few games and, and be in the mix. So I was really hoping Wofford would lose in, the, um, in their conference tournament final. One, because they already had a seed locked up, and I would love to see a UNC Greensboro a Furman get in. Uh, I think both teams have proven with UNC Greensboro almost beating Gonzaga last year. Uh, they played Kentucky almost to a standstill up until the last stanza at Rupp Arena. And then you have Furman that that beat Villanova. Um, so you have teams that can that can definitely beat these other teams. And when it comes to Vegas and the spread, the spread's not going to be that big on a neutral court between a lot of these teams. So give me some of these younger teams that you don't watch that often versus a team that's, that's had 18, 20 chances all year. Absolutely. Well, you know what, Bo, you talked about the NBA, um, just the stacked talent level that the 09 team had 17 had some players that, that are trying to carve out roles for themselves in the NBA right now, but let's go ahead and wrap up the podcast by exploring that because for anyone who's listening that may not know it, you know, Bo, with you working with NBA.com and NBA TV, you know, you're very kind of clued into that. I know that that's something that you just hear throughout the year is, hey, this guy may be really good pro. This guy, may, maybe not so much. When you're looking at this UNC squad, how many guys do you see on it that could just play in the NBA for several years, maybe not be stars, but that are that could just run the gambit from someone that could be a starter on a really good NBA team to just someone who can stick around in the year uh, in the NBA for a few years, and make a really solid career there. Right off the bat, obviously, Nasir Little and Kobe White are going to make the NBA. They will be first round draft picks. I have talked to some people. Uh, and, and have a good sense that Cam Johnson has a real chance. Uh, he, he is coming along and playing a style of game that absolutely perfectly, it's, it's just a perfect fit for the NBA right now. He is a 6'9 guy who can shoot and has shown increasing mobility this year. He has to be able to defend a bit. He has, doesn't have to be unbelievable, but he has to be able to defend a bit and be physical a bit. But I think he can play. Luke May is an interesting case. Uh, you know, I know he tested the market a little bit last year, and he was he was even down here in Atlanta with the Hawks, I think, for a day. Uh, he's six eight, so he's a bit undersized. Uh, but to me, and, and again, this is this is one of those seniors that can get overlooked. He has shown in, in his career, and I don't know what you guys have seen. I think he's a better ball handler than when he got here significantly. Uh, his shot has improved. He can shoot from different angles at different times. Can he defend on the perimeter? Can he defend on the interior? Those are things that he's going to have to show. He may have to work his way through the G League. He may have to work his way through Europe or the uh, NBL in Australia. But I think he I, – I genuinely believe he can make an NBA team. I don't know if it's for years. I don't know if it's a, a long career. But I, I tend to, to you know – Guys, if you made the NBA, if you played in the NBA, you're a heck of a basketball player. And Marcus Page played in the NBA. Theo Pinson's now played in the NBA. You're a heck of a basketball player, and you reached your dreams. I got some follow-ups for you, Bo, but I'll come back to you in just a second. Sean, what's your take on the NBA potential of this UNC squad in general? 
Well, I, I've got some questions for for Bo as well. I'm curious his takes on a, on a few things. But uh, regarding Cam Johnson, you know, you look at the mock drafts, and I think I saw it was one from SB Nation, Ricky O'Donnell, and it was the first time I'd seen Cam put in a in a first round mock. And I wish I could find a betting site that was putting out NBA draft odds right now because I would put a lot of money on him getting drafted in the first round. I think he. You know, you, you've seen some of the seniors, um, Hart from Villanova, Derek White from um, Colorado. So you've seen seniors getting drafted in that 20 range, you know, 20 to, thir- uh, what, 32 range the past few years. I think he definitely, you know, from 25 to 30, I think he'll definitely end up, um, despite really not being projected that way right now. Just given his shooting, his size, uh, not the most athletic, but he's shown more athleticism now after the hip surgery and and kind of having a injury free year so I'm pretty high on him uh Kobe White this time last year we're all talking you know can Kobe play the point uh what, you know what's UNC going to do and Kobe's proven to be you know extremely beneficial and valuable this year and right now I see him still in a lot of mock drafts behind Trey Jones and I don't think there's a comparison um I know everybody talks about Trey's defense which is good, but I still think he's a little overrated as an on-ball defender. So I definitely see Kobe testing the waters, and if he stays in, that's another question. But I think he'll definitely test, just given how much his stock has has gone up. And then you have Naz, and I think you have a, and I would love uh, Bo's take on on Naz because you know once again, coming I mean, in from the preseason, really everything is based on how he did in the McDonald's game and how he did in the Jordan Brand game. If you go back, even going into those games, he was ranked number 10 or 11. And then that shot him up to number two or three. And is he a top pick, a top three pick? So he had to live with these high expectations and there've been a lot of question marks about him. So can he be a lottery pick or, or is he falling? Um, you know, I think, Something interesting is looking at Atlanta. They have two picks that are going to be in the top 10. Do they maybe take a chance on a on a Kevin Porter or a Naz Little, somebody that hasn't had the success that uh, people thought they're going to have earlier? Um, or do they do they slip? So definitely those three. And, and Luke May, um, you know, I would see more as a G League guy. I mean, if you remember, Theo's been a two-way guy, mostly playing in the G League, and you have Joel Berry playing in the G League. So Nothing wrong about that. I think for for Luke May, we've seen him struggle when he goes against a DeAndre Hunter or, or people with length and athleticism. Um, even though he has a really quick release, I do think kind of the G League and then eventually overseas, um, he'll find kind of a nice, really nice career. Well, I'm going to piggyback off of Sean's initial question. And then um, after I ask this one, you know, Sean, if you've got anything else for Bo, feel free to ask it. I'll turn it over to you, man. But yeah, let's hear your thoughts on Nasir Little, Bo. Where do you think he would go in the draft right now? Well, I'll give you two things here. Uh, I, I just happened to catch uh, a high school basketball game. I went down with a, a former NBA GM to watch Walker Kessler play, a uh, kid that North Carolina has shown some interest in. And one of the things that he watches a game differently than the average media person watches it. He's sitting there pointing out, look at him in timeout. Look at how he's supporting his teammates. He said he really pays attention to that. So I actually took that thought and watched Nasir Little. And Nasir Little is a guy, you know, you know, I talk about his connective tissue in his game. He's got, he's got good form on his jump shot. He's got good athleticism. He does a lot of things well, but, you know, connecting it with the dribbles and the counter moves and the defensive rotations, that sort of thing needs to improve. But 
I tell you what, his attitude has been wonderful this year, and the talent is all there. And one thing I, I think that's not been discussed enough, to me, looking at Nasir Little this year versus looking at him last year, he's a much bigger, stronger guy. And oftentimes when you say, see a guy develop physically like that, the shot takes a while. That touch takes a while to come around. And I, I could see that being a tough thing for him to adapt to. But, you know, as far as talent goes, Nasir Little has got it. As far as his head, he's got it. Figuring out how to connect all those parts of his game, you know, whether that's at North Carolina, whether that's in the NBA, that's a question for him to answer. But I, I think that connective tissue is, is the only thing that is holding him back from being, you know, top three, top four, and pushing him down into, you know, eight, nine, ten, or further in the lottery. Uh, but, but as far as talent, he's got it all. All right, Sean, go ahead if you had anything else, man. Well, no, definitely an interesting take on, on this year. And, you know, I think he's going to be widely discussed over the, the next, you know, weeks and months of, of how he does. And, you know, I think it's interesting. If he had gone to a smaller school and was the guy and had 20 shots a game, obviously that helps with, with confidence. Um, and you look at somebody like Theo Pinson, where in college he's getting one, maybe two threes a game, and then he goes to the G League and he can shoot wherever he wants. And, you know, he doesn't have to worry about missing one or two. He knows he's going to get seven or eight, and all of a sudden he's shooting, you know, a crazy a crazy percentage. So confidence has a lot to do with it. And, and you see Nasir, and he knows he's not going to get, you know, 20 shots, let alone 10 shots. Um, and even against Duke, he hit his first few, and there's the other two that – were really close and almost went down, but but went out. And then all of a sudden it was only, you know, maybe one more shot after that. So it'll be how do teams kind of evaluate him? And you always see him positive and dancing after the game and locked in during timeouts and cheering on the sidelines. My biggest question for him is when he gets the ball and he's gotten better at it, but a lot of times the ball seems to stop and he, he's trying to figure out what to do rather than, you know, pass it, passing it quick or making a quick move. So uh, will that, Will that develop? And I think it will. Um, you know, he's young and, and still improving. I just think there is really high expectations placed on him early on that maybe weren't fair. But my question for Bo would be on on Kobe. Uh, do you think he he definitely stays in? Um, or what, what do you think people are going to be looking at um, when it comes from an NBA perspective on, on Kobe? Look, I, I just think he fits in the NBA. I really do. I think, you know, the the fact that he is a legitimate, you know, you hear people say 6'5", or nearly 6'5", that's a big point guard, and the NBA isn't necessarily just, it has to be a point guard, but he's a guy who can handle, he's a guy who can shoot, he's a guy who can break you down. You know, the only thing that he really lacks to me is that elite passing ability uh, once the double team comes, if he gets hot and they try to take him off the ball. Uh, he'll have to figure that out. But, you know, we started this whole entire podcast off talking about how he has developed and learned the game at North Carolina this season. He's shown an ability to learn and figure things out. I think he can figure things out at the NBA level. Uh, and there are some guys who could just play basketball. He is one of those guys. I, I hate to oversimplify it like that, but he figures out the game. He figures out the angles. He sees the second defender coming and where he's coming from and makes the adjustment. I just see a world of basketball talent with him, and it's, it's not the vertical leap. It's, it, you know, it's, it's not a, you know, the Ty Lawson. Well, he's got a ton of speed, but it's not Ty Lawson level speed. Uh, it's, just, it's just playing basketball. He can make shots. He's got a lot of confidence. Uh, he, he's a player that can play in the NBA. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, if if it wasn't a guy that was playing in North Carolina, if I'm just looking blindly at the guy, I say that guy stays. John, just to add one quick thing. I, d- I definitely think you kind of hit it all perfectly that 
when it all comes down to it, he can, he can play basketball. And I think if he does enter his name, you'll probably at times start to hear the nitpicking and you mentioned the vertical leap and you can talk about the wingspan. And I remember back to the U18 tryouts where, you know, they measure all that. And he, he was surprisingly on the lower end of the vertical as well as, as the wingspan. But, you know, when you have a six, four, six, five guard that can, you know, has now learned the point guard position, but at the same time is a tremendous score. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to he can really play basketball and it would be great to watch him for another year, but uh, it's been very fun to watch him this year. And hopefully there are four more weekends of it. Heck yeah. Here's the thing. I, even on stuff like that, like you think of vertical leap, Blake Griffin had the same vertical leap as Steph Curry when he came out. Steph Curry is it, it's charged against him. Blake Griffin is, is a huge leaper because he's just, he's just a bigger, stronger player. And, you know, that, that's a vertical leap measurement versus how you play in games and how you get off the floor in games and how you're able to move laterally in games and stuff like that. There, there was a weaving drive that Kobe made against Duke, and I, I'm sure you guys both know what I'm thinking of, that, that displayed every bit of talent. I mean, he, he had the hips to make the spin. He's able to cut with the basketball. He's able to hang, take the contact, make the shot. He's just able to play ball. That's just the reality with Kobe White. Let me go ahead and ask you kind of my final question, Bo. And it's something that Sean and I have discussed on prior podcasts where there's kind of that stigma right now amongst uh, high school players that Carolina does not really do that great of a job of getting guys to the pros. And I just think that's something that, that Roy Williams, I mean, he has really not shown a big interest in making Carolina a one and done factory like you've seen other other programs do. But on your side of it, on the NBA, you know, what do you hear about players that Roy Williams does puts into the league? Is there like any sort of criticism that you do hear on that side of it or anything along those lines? Well, I mean, the reality is that think about the last NCAA, I mean, the NBA All-Star that Carolina's had. And, you know, you're talking, you have to go back to Vince Carter and Antoine James. So it's been a while since that, that sort of eye-popping All-Star has come from North Carolina. The guys are able to play. And, you know, I think Roy Williams, his main concern is what he teaches them about life and how they play at North Carolina uh, and making the absolute best out of them. And I think he does a great job of that. Uh, but I just think that it, it's not sort of – they're not churning out all-stars like they were with Antoine Jameson and Vince Carter and James Worthy and Michael Jordan and on and on and on. You know, there was an era where they had a run of players like that that just, that just all-star after all-star after all-star. And, you know, they have guys that are close now. Uh, but I, I, the thing I think they do do well is really maximize the talent that they have. And, and you know, look at a guy like Danny Green. Danny Green, when he came in and when he was playing at North Carolina, nobody saw the, the sort of career and the sort, you know, just go up and look up his contract that he signed. Danny Green has done really well. So I, I think North Carolina does a great job with that. All right, Sean, and then let's assume that both Kobe White and Nasir Little do get drafted. Let's say Nas goes in the lottery and then Kobe is somewhere around, call it 15 to like 18. What impact do you think that that would have on recruiting go, going forward? Uh, that's a good good question. Um, I mean, because you whatever pros you're going to get from Kobe, you're probably going to get the con of Nas no matter where he goes because people will just refer, oh, he, he was a top three pick coming into into Carolina, but, you know, having two one and done freshmen can definitely help that. Um, but at the same time, you know, they might not need that. They're really recruiting Cole Anthony hard. He's projected to be a one and done. Um, you know, is he waiting for to see if Kobe's leaving? Is he not? Um, I think they're 
questions on that, but I don't think he's really factored in, you know, what school, you know, he's looking at Oregon and some other schools. So I don't know how big of a factor the, the one and done is, but it would be nice to have some, some strong ex- examples going forward. Um, just so you can kind of remove one of the stigmas that has, has kind of dogged Carolina for a few years now. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, it is just inter- interesting that, like Bo said, I mean, Roy does really maximize the talent. You can just look at the recruiting rankings of UNC starting five this year versus Duke starting five, even minus Zion. And, you know, Carolina swept them when by the talent evaluation standard, they really shouldn't have. So it's interesting to see Roy Williams. He's got a system. It works. We'll see how it does in the ACC and NCAA tournaments this year. Guys, I want to say thank you very much for joining me. Bo, we kept you a long time, man. And um, what do you have coming up on the NBA.com or NBA TV? And uh, is it NBA.com, the website that you do do some articles for? I am. Uh, when we hang up, I will be calling highlights for NBA.com. I call highlights. I'm the voice that does March Madness. So all the NCAA.com highlights you hear, that's me. In fact, uh, Two years ago or three years ago when Chris Jenkins hit the shot, I went from misery to two minutes later I was calling that highlight for Villanova. The next year I got to call North Carolina's national championship game highlight, so that made me feel a little better. But it's, it's just a busy time of year for me right now. Basketball, 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 but it's a ton of fun. Well, we appreciate you coming on, man. And then, Sean, as far as the Sean Hoops podcast, what do you got coming down the line there? Sure. Well, unfortunately, I had one yesterday that I uh, was not able to put up due to recording issues. But it was um, if you go back about a week, had Colgate assistant coach Dave Klatsky on just kind of talking about the role of an assistant coach, uh, the Patriot League, et cetera. If UNC does get a two seed and if Colgate uh, does beat Bucknell in the Patriot League championship game, that could be a potential opponent for UNC. And then uh, fingers crossed uh, first week after March Madness. Um, hoping to have Clark Kellogg on. So, uh, fingers crossed that happens. But um, that's about it for me. Nice. All right, guys. Well, appreciate it again, and hope that you both have a really good night. All right. Thanks a thanks lot. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase?